Hello, it's Vikas Pota, Chairman of the Vaki Foundation. You are listening to a session from our Global Education and Skills Forum, a place where leading politicians, businesses, philanthropists, activists, and of course, the world's best teachers share, debate, and discover new ways for education to transform our world. Keep the global conversation going and share your thoughts on the topics discussed with the hashtag GESF. Who is changing the world for the better? Uh, but all the same, let, let me say this, that the world today and uh, for some time in the past has gone beyond uh, saying that I am a hero in the world and I want to uh, do this all by myself. Uh, I think we should now, and the world has come to that a long time ago, of collective leadership to change the world for the better. Um, there's no country in the world today or no leader in the world that can say, I can move the world drastically in progress forward. Of course, evil is easier to do than good. So people can easily do evil, unlike what has happened in uh, New Zealand. One individual mad per person killed 150 people. Now, that's not changing the world for the better, uh, but that is what one man, one madman can do. Now, I believe that in today's world, the world will be changed for the better if people realize that they, want, they have to work together, collective leadership. Somebody may have to be the one engineering, but it will have to be a teamwork, a teamwork. And I will still believe that uh, for that teamwork to make the world move forward, the West are collectively still have a lot to do, West, as a group based on democracy and democratic principle and what they stand for, based on market economy, well, what is they stand for, they still have a lot to do together to lead the world and move the world forward. Okay. I'm going to bring us back to the African continent. And, and I know the story, uh, you know, th your role in bringing NEPAD together, coming together with several African presidents during your time in your second, um, you know, period in office. But if you were asked what you were most proud of in terms of changing the world, what would that be? I would say we in Africa coming up with NEPAD. <clears throat> that was the first time that we as leaders of Africa come together on our own and decided that, yes, no matter what is going on in the world, we want to have a program, political, economic, social, that will drive uh, Africa. We have, of course, uh, had um, MDG, uh, which was global, and uh, which was, of course, helpful for Africa. But uh, NEPAD was one that we, on our own, decided to do, 
And when we came up with it, the rest of the world decided, oh, this is a program that Africa by themselves, African leaders, have brought out and we should support them. Okay. And we went to Canada in Canada's case. And the G7 look at the program and say, we will back you up. We will support you. And of course, from Nepal came APRM and other things that came from Nepal. Right, and for those of you who are not aware, you can take a look at what Nepal does. A lot of cross-continental infrastructure growth development. APRM is the Africa Peer Review Mechanism, a very important uh, platform for, for accountability and for measurement. Um, but take a look at that. Let me bring you now to you know, the important work that GESF is doing with teachers. And the place where Africa is positioned in the world today, ladies and gentlemen, it is only once in a blue moon that you find a continent with a growing youth population that Africa has. And we all know it's either a resource or it is a, a threat to the continent. We have a lot to do when it comes to teaching, skills building, and preparing young people for the new world. Um, when you look at the continent, if you were to advise African governments and policymakers today when it comes to education and teaching, what would you be saying to them? I'd be saying that the beginning is popular education. Education for all. You see, my dear sister, and my dear brothers and sisters and friends here, there are still parts of Africa where popular education is still not ingrained. And let me take my own country for instance. We have six geopolitical zones, three in the south, three in the north. The so the three southern geopolitical zones have adult literacy of above 90%. In the northeast, it is only 53%. 53%. You imagine the gap. And in the northeast is where you have Boko Haram. So when you look at education in the northeast, and the menace of Boko Haram, you can see that education directly and indirectly has something to do with Boko Haram. Then, of course, education is very, very basic to all other things. Your employability, your life expectancy, how you manage your affairs, uh, and all that, your, even the management of your family. And, uh, so when education is poor, your uh, chances of getting employment is also poor. And then when you do not have employment, of course, your life becomes almost a waste because you cannot do what you should do for yourself, not to talk of your family or your community. And that is where I will begin. Education, popular education. Education for all. There is no country in Africa today that should not be able to compulsorily, compulsorily put all our children in school for 10 years. And once you have that, then, of course, 
the most of our children will be able to manage the rest of their life. And then, of course, you, once you deal with popular education, you have to do, deal with science, um, technology, and um, skills acquisition, and uh, what they now call STEM, um, engineering and mathematics. And then, of course, you cannot move away from the rest of the world, education-wise. So you have basic popular education, you have skill acquisition, then you have empowerment to be able to live your life to the fullest. So the message is compulsory, basic education, education for 10 years at for least 10. should be a commitment it's from a, African yeah, governments. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Mr. President, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. said um, Injust uh, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, right? I'm going to paraphrase that a little bit and say insecurity anywhere is a threat to security everywhere. And, and by that, I'm speaking of Somalia and Eastern Africa, mm -hmm. the Horn. And actually what happened in Boko Haram was training that took place in the late 1990s on the eastern coast of Africa that fed into the west. This is a serious issue for the African continent that we are exporting insecurity to each other at a time where we should be trading and relating with each other. And so I want you to speak to the insecurity challenge, education and the continent. If this is real, why has Africa taken so long to respond to this? Where will we end up if we don't address these issues? If we don't invest in education, <clears throat> you talk about population. We have the youngest population in the world. We have the largest. Uh, today, we are talking of um, about a billion. Um, by the year 2050, we will be, be talking of over 2 billion population. We will have. Uh, in my own country, for instance, at Independence in 1960, we have 45 million. Today, we have 200 million. By 1950, we will have over two, uh, over 400 million. Today, we have 200 million. By 1920, uh, 1950, uh, 2050, we will have over 400, in fact, $415 now, what do we do with that if we do not educate them? If we do not educate them, we are all sitting on a keg of gunpowder. Now, Boko Haram came up. The man who started it, Mohammed Yusuf, was uh, not, not a harmful person, not normally a bad person. In fact, he was a, uh, a Muslim clergy. And people were sending him on messages, and he was doing well. But when he had some of his followers, college uh, graduates, who had no job, he got them together and said, look, how many years now that you have left university? Four years. What are you doing? Nothing. You, five years. What are you doing? Nothing. He said, then of what use is your so-called education. And that is where the nickname Boko Haram started from. Actually, that's not the name they call themselves. They call themselves a different name. But because he said to his followers, your Western education without job is of no use. 
So that is how Boko Haram started. For those so who don't know you, what Boko Haram means. Yeah, Boko Haram mean? means Western education is uh, haram, haram, useless. Okay. Uh, I'm going to come to the floor with some questions. Uh, just before I do, let me tap into that a little bit more. Western education is useless is what Boko Haram stands for. Um, flawed thinking, yes. However, in many ways, Africa threw away a lot of her cultural knowledge or has ignored it. How do we, as we bring up the next generation of Africans, tap into both cultural awareness and knowledge that is relevant and positive, uh, pertinent for their lives, but also then plug in what is needed from the Western uh, world so that we are bringing up young people who are able to traverse are excellent in knowledge, both of the continent and, and external, um, are well-educated all round. Now, I think uh, what some people call well-rounded education. <clears throat> and you cannot say you have a well-rounded education if you neglect your culture. Because you have to grow and be a person out of your own culture. I always say to Africans, it doesn't matter how well you speak English. You can speak English like the Queen of England, or you speak French like uh, Macron. You will still not be a Frenchman, nor an English person. Now, what the world will want to know about you is what is authentically African about you. Now, that does not mean, of course, that you must not acquire the knowledge of education that will make you relevant in the world that you live in. The knowledge of education that will make you to contribute meaningfully, not only within your community, not only within your country, not only within your continent, but globally within the world. And that means that you have to be, you have to be trendy with what is going on in education in the world. Like we said, STEM, for instance. Now, what is going to happen in another uh, 15, 20 years in terms of um, uh, artificial intelligence, robotics? Um, what, what are we? What are Africans? going to do about this. I was at a meeting not too long ago, and we were talking about driverless, uh, driverless uh, uh, vehicle. And I was complaining about jobs. And I said, Aliko Dangote told me that he advertised for 1,000 drivers, and six of those who applied had PhD. Wow. Six of Heart those who applied. Heartbreaking. Had PhD and not PhD in uh, uh, janitoring, PhD in, in very serious, in very serious uh, uh, subject. And then, but to shock me, yeah. the uh, man with whom we were talking said, well, look, uh, today those people apply to be drivers. He said, in 20, 25 years from now, they will not even get driver's job to do because most of the vehicles and trucks will be driverless. Now, what are we doing? How are we preparing for that? When our population will be two billion, 
or over? How do we then cater? How do we provide job? And you leave there is uh, a way out. And Give us hope because we're feeling a little bit hopeless right now. Yeah. <laughs> the way out is that we are endowed in Africa. We are endowed with land and we proudly beat our chest. 60% of uh, cultivable land in the world is still in Africa. What, of what use is 50% of cultivable land that is not cultivated? Right. Now, <laughs> of what use is it? So what I am saying is that if we take agribusiness very seriously, and agribusiness, I'm not talking of ag agriculture. I'm talking agri of agribusiness. Agri from equipment that you have to uh, make to prepare land up to food on your table is the value chain of agribusiness. If we take that seriously, we will be able to provide substantial amount of job that our population will require. There, were, there are other things, but let, uh, let me give no, you... Go that. ahead, go ahead. What's the other thing that yeah. you identify? Well, yeah. well, we have to produce what we need for ourselves. Basic, basic domestic appliances, basic needs of our people. I always say to Africans, don't let us... Uh, 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 aspire to go to the moon. Let's leave those who are going to the moon. But let us aspire to touch our stomach. Feed ourselves. Let us, let us aspire to feed ourselves. Yeah. Thank you. So produce what you need and buy from yourselves. Yes. I had, I've had this conversation with Paul Kagame and he says we have to be careful though to make sure we are competitive yes. and we do produce excellent products so we're able to compete globally but we utilize our own, our own content. I'm, I'm coming to the floor now for questions from the president. Uh, yes, I'll start with the lady right here in the front. I'll go to the gentleman over there and then uh, one on this side, gentleman right at the back and I will try, I'll try to do a second round if you can be as quick as possible. Thank you. A mic right here. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. My name is Kiki James. I moved back from the UK in 2010. I'm also a Malala Fongumukai champion. I moved... <laughs> Kiki, Ki I'll, I'll, I will listen. I'll be slow. My name is Kiki James. No, that's all right. Um, it's because I'm getting old. Don't okay. worry about that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> My name is Kiki James. I live in Abuja. I moved back from... You live in Abuja? Yes, I do. Oh, good. Oh, no. <laughs> I moved back from the UK in 2010 to set up a charity. 2010? Yes, you nine years you ago. You relocated to Nigeria? Yes, I had to come back. I wanted to be part of the process of change. I was tired of everything I saw on TV. So I set up a charity called ACE. We, it's called Assisting Caring and Empowering African Lives. We set up learning resource centers in primary schools, basic education. And on that note, first of all, I want to thank Thank you for all the work you've done under the UBE Act. Mm -hmm. Thank you so very Thank much. These LRCs that we set up have libraries. They have books required by the Nigerian curriculum. They have a computer so the children learn to be ICT literate. Maths, English books required by the curriculum. What we do is we want to scale up. We have LRCs in Bornu, in Zamfara, and in the north. Essentially, what I want to ask you is this. How is it possible for us to scale up? Because what we do solves problems. For example, 
ICT periods in Nigeria, the children do nothing. So the children who come to use our LRCs, we take over the ICT period and we teach them how to use the computers. Mm -hmm. I have tried for many years to scale up this project. Okay. Thankfully, Malala Fund, we are working with them as a Gumukai champion. So by working Thank through systema you. systematic changes, how, in your opinion, okay. would you agree, would you help us to scale up such an amazing project Thank in you. Nigeria for the Nigerian Thank children? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, can we give her a round of applause? Because I think she is... She is changing the world, and she's working hard to change the world. I think it was a gentleman there, and then to this side. Thank you, and then we'll take those three. Uh, um, thank you very much, and uh, Mr. President, thank you. Uh, my name is Samuel Munyuing. I'm from Kenya. I'm a founder, um, among others, of African Institute for Children's Studies. We're basically trying to bring together Africans to be able to, uh, to advise on how we bring up our children. And Mr. President, the question I want to beg your advice is, I feel even when we come to continental meetings at AU level, and as civil society and as people from Africa try to speak out, politicians don't listen to us. They're more keen to listen to someone from Canada, from wherever other country, but not us. What are we doing wrong? Yet, just like you've said, some of the solutions we want to bring up, mm. we have better solutions. I mean, things like orphans didn't exist in our, mm. in our culture. So how comes we are not listening to each other? What are we doing wrong? Thank you. Great question. We'll bring that to the president in a minute. Yes, gentlemen over there. Good afternoon, Mr. President. My name is Gideon Olarewaju, and um, I'm a UNESCO Education for Sustainable Development leader in Nigeria. And over the last six years, I've been designing solutions to reduce the population of out-of-school children in Nigeria. And um, it's a worrisome statistic that many of us who are Nigerians are familiar with. We have a huge population of children in Nigeria who are not enrolled in school, and some who are enrolled in school are actually not learning. We can take clue from countries like Ethiopia and Liberia that have designed alternative learning programs, such as speed schools in Ethiopia, to incorporate learners who are not attending school into non-conventional educational system. So my question to you would be, how do you, as a former head of state in Nigeria, seek to advise the Nigerian government on how to adapt and scale innovative projects such as that of Kiki and that of myself to ensure that we can drastically reduce either the are 10.2 million or 7.8 million. Enough is enough. We need to get right. Nigerian children into school. Thank, Thank you. you. Let me ask you a question before you put the mic down. Thank you. So in Kenya, I believe it's illegal to uh, not see your child through and free primary education is free, primary education, secondary education, day education is free. And it's illegal for your child not to go through primary and at least secondary school now. Do you think that's too much for Africa? Isn't that like a base that we can set for all African countries? Or do you think it's a little bit too ambitious? I just want to tap well, into it. Um, there's something called contextual realities in education. Hmm. And I want you to know the peculiar problems of Nigeria not having out-of-school children going to school are numerous. And there are structural barriers okay. identical to the Nigerian society. Okay. And as a former president, I know that he would be in position to tell us if such a policy will be instrumental okay. in reducing our out-of-school children population. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you very much. So let me bring those three very good questions to you, and uh, we'll try to handle them briefly, so I might be able to take a couple more. So um, the first one, Kiki asks, I've come back to Nigeria. I'm doing amazing things. I'm passionate. I'm driven. But I just can't scale up. She's really frustrated. How do these projects that are doing innovative, incredible things in the schooling system, how can they scale up? What can be done? My dear sister, first of all, let me <clears throat> thank you for coming back home. 
Now, I, I, and I mean that. I mean that. Um, let me also appreciate you for what you are learning. When you come back home, you start a learning process, knowing what goes on at home. I am happy that you came back in 2010 and you are still there, which appears that you may not go back again. <laughs> Some people have come like you and they met obstacles. They got frustrated and went back. The point is this, that the lesson we must all learn is that those places we go back to, they had problems that we are having now. But some people were dogged and they stood and said, look, we will make things happen. And they did. And that's how they succeeded. Now, nothing succeeds like success. Don't try and cut more than you can chew. There are 36 states in Nigeria. You imagine you taking one state or even one zone out of six zones and succeeding in one state or two states or, two zone, or one zone. You imagine the effect it will have. When you can go around and say, hey, come and see what I have done in state A. Come and see what is happening here. At one time, I have, and I still have, an, um, an NGO, and we said what we are trying to do is girl-child education. Education generally, but particularly girl-child education. And we went to Jigawa, and we adopted a girl's school. And we said, look, we want to make this a model. And our success in that girl's school, we will go around the Jigawa state and say, look, come and see what we are doing here. And then we can move from Jigawa State to neighboring states, Kano, and, uh, and so on. Now, so let us, you uh, will have mm -hmm. the state governor that is interested. Let us go that way. Mm -hmm. in the, then the next one is... Let, uh, let, let me help paraphrase the next one for you. Yeah. Because um, you've been many things in your lifetime. Yeah. I know you farm, and you have farmed yeah. for, for a while. I see you as a teacher, yeah. so you've been a diplomat, yeah. am I right? Yeah. Um, of course, we know you've been a military leader. So I want all these sides of you to talk to the politician in you now. And we are asking as Africa in so many different ways, what's the problem? Where's the gap? Where's the loophole? Why can't you listen to us as politicians and just do some of these critical things that need to be done? You know the AU very well. You know your fellow African leaders very well. Where's the gap? Now, to make politicians listen to you, you have to tell them what will shock them. Um, let me give you this example. A friend of mine, may he so rest in peace from your country, Thomas Odiambo. He started something, a parasite um, institute, just insects and parasites. <clears throat> and one day he asked me to join him. And I joined him. 
and they are scientists. I, 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 I'm not a scientist, but I listen to them. And after listening to them, I said, Thomas, you know you people are getting it wrong. You say, why? I said, you are living in a world of your own. You have to live in a world of your own and the world of politicians. And at that time, he discovered one thing, that tilapia is going to be extinct in Lake Victoria. Tilapia. And President Nyerere, his village, uh, Bukiama, I think it is, is on Lake Victoria. So I said to him, go and tell President Nyerere. He said, President Nyerere has no money and he needed to do research. I said, you just go and tell him. Tell him that tilapia on which he grew up is now going to be uh, extinct. And he went. He was surprised. President Nyerere got up and said, what? What? He got him $10 million. Wow. I don't know how he did it, but he did. You let the politicians know that what you are saying is something that will be detrimental either to their interest or to them personally. Right. Very, they will act. very powerful. Guys, have we learned something? Very, very powerful. I come now to, to the next question from the yes, young man yes. over there, which was an excellent question. Tell us what you think about, you know, uh, these initiatives, how to get more of them, how to get Nigeria to really ensure that either alternative programs are available for learning or you have the base primary, the, the base education you were talking about earlier, please. Um, I, I think if you ask me, specifically about Nigeria, where we are in education today, my dear brother, I would say we are in confusion. And I don't know whether you feel that way. But that is the way I feel. We are really in confusion. Um, and I do hope, and I sincerely mean this, that uh, the NEF government, whoever that is, will be able to actually sit down and say, look, where do we go from here as far as education is concerned? Um, let, let me take again my own state, Ogun State, where we have the, the government of the state has four universities. You go to any of the universities, they are glorified secondary schools. That's what they are. Wow. Now, what can that achieve? What can they achieve? And I believe that the beginning, we have had this in the past, Chief Adebo sat up and uh, looked at our education and that is where we got uh, uh, is it 644? Four. Uh, uh, six, six, uh, 644. Four. Yeah, thank, thank you very much. Yeah, it even gets confusing. 
Uh-huh. 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 Yeah. No, I said six weeks. <laughs> six. Three. Three. Four. That's, yeah, that's where we got six, three, three, four from. I believe the time has come when we should do a real uh, serious overhaul, uh-huh. study and overhaul of our education, including what do we have to do in STEM? What right, do we have to do right, in right, culture right, right. that we talk about? Right. What do we have to do in, uh, you know, the, 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 the AI? Even in the arts, even now, in what creativity. Do we, what, what do we yeah. have to do in robotics? No. What are we going to do to look for job, the training for those, those who will lose their job in where robotics and AI will take over. The future of work, yes. The future of work in in Nigeria and indeed in Africa. Now, if we do not do that, you will not make progress. What you are trying to do. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Mr. President. I see the hands and I apologize because I have been asked to wind up. Our time is over and another session is coming into here. We could have gone on for two hours, right? Um, So, you know, as we wind up, I I want a final statement from you. And I want to say to everybody in this room, I've, I've really centered this discussion on Africa because it needed it. And because in many ways, although we do have borders, much of Africa, we face the same challenges, right? Um, I want to say this. I want everybody to leave this room understanding this is a new era in education. That right now, as the world faces antibiotic resistance, there are tests being done in Meru County in Kenya using cultural medicine that is seen to be the answer to the problem of antibiotic resistance. So the wealth and the resources and the knowledge and the potential of Africa is remarkable. I want you to hold on to this. As I say that the food that is in the mouth is no longer, is not yet in the stomach. That's an African proverb. That even as we talk, then we must follow up with action. Mr. President, I want you to finish off for us with an inspiration to these warriors we have here. All these people somehow related to changing the world, related to maybe education, teachers in this space, inspire them to go out. What do you want them to do? And, and, and how can you fire them up? Well, I have said it. Um, whatever little you are doing in your own corner, be a leader, but don't lead alone. Lead with others. That is the only way that your leadership can be meaningful and can have collective uh, impact. Now, the days of single hero is gone. Today, you have to be heroes together, but somebody has to lead. And that is what is happening even in Africa. Last year was the best year for Africa. Look at what happened. Our leaders now, well, one of the best years, if I may say, our leaders came and decided to reform AU itself. We have Open Sky, and we have uh, African Continental Free Trade Area, area right. which may come into effect in the ne- before June. And we have Inter-Africa Trade Fair mm-hmm. for the first time. Now, we are making progress. But that progress is because our leaders 
agree to work together. If we work together, we will go far. If we work alone, we will go fast, but we may not go far. Thank you very much. A round of applause.